Welcome to Park Media. I'm your host today, Vince Emanuele, and we are joined by a good friend of the program, Sam Love, who is the editor of the Gary Anthology, recently published by Belt in 2020. He is a social and civic practice artist who organizes public projects that connect communities to their cultural and ecological histories through publishing, multimedia installations, and performance. Past engagements include the Gary Poetry Project, the Gary Nature Project, the Lock Poetry Project and the Carroll County Poetry Project. He was a 2019-2020 Indiana Arts Commission on-ramp fellow and an individual advanced program grant recipient. And again, a, pro, a friend of both Sergio and I, Sam. Good to have you, man. Happy Halloween, Vince. Thank you. Happy Halloween. How the hell is Thanks. it in uh, Gary? Uh, it's going pretty good. It's a beautiful day out here today. It's a beautiful day for me to be sitting inside talking on Zoom. We're getting some un, unusual uh, sort of weather this time of year. It's very nice. We got like a little weekend of of a of a summer. Yeah, yeah. Coming back, it was cold there for a little while, and now it's just like really pleasant. So happy to be on the show, though, man. It's been great. I've really been enjoying it. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to have you, and I'm super pumped because we are also sending these out. I haven't sent them yet, but this is a copy that we have here the anthology these are going out to all of our subscribers uh our patreons who support the program so i'm sure they're going to be excited to get it and i let my father borrow mine and he had it for two weeks before we uh had the program so i had to get it back from him before the program started um why don't you talk to me a little bit about because i want to go into some of the work you're doing why you do it the different projects you've been involved with but i'd like to start out with this anthology how did this project begin and what, you know, what was your thinking in terms of putting together the, the writers, the artists who were involved with this? Are these people you've worked with in the past, people who are new? Um, yeah, so Belt Publishing, I think they started back in 2012. And what they do is they publish Midwestern writers writing about the Midwest because so much of the writing about the Midwest is done from the coasts. So I, uh, when I discovered that, I immediately thought that was cool. And one of the things they do is this city anthology series. So all the, the cities of the Rust Belt, hence Belt Publishing, have these anthologies, Detroit, Cleveland, Chicago, Grand Rapids, Flint, Youngstown, big cities, small cities. And um, when I first discovered that a few years back, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if they do Gary? Well, we'll see if this publisher sticks around because independent publishing can be so here today, gone tomorrow. Well, it's 2020, and yeah, we've got this wonderful Gary anthology, the first anthology of an Indiana city. Um, Indianapolis has one. It's either out now or it's coming out like next month. So it's really exciting for Gary to kind of lead in something. And um, yeah, so over the past few years, seven, eight years, I, I kept in the back of my head what a Gary anthology might look like. And I certainly had people in mind. And what ended up happening was at the uh, beginning of 2019, last year, somebody tagged me in a tweet from Martha Bain, who is the senior editor at Belt, saying, we want to do a Gary anthology. Who out there can do that? And someone said, you need to talk to Sam Love. And within minutes, we were going back and forth. And then she said, send a book proposal. And in a day, I did that. I'd never written a book proposal before in my life. I just had this idea in two pages, and I've been sharing that with other folks who want to do anthologies or try to get books published. Like, my whole thing is I love process. I love and respect all the artists who 
have shared with me their process and given advice. So I, I want to do the same thing going forward. So I don't know if my book proposal was the way you're supposed to do it or not, but it worked. And I think well over half of the people I had originally thought who could participate in this ended up in it, which is really awesome. Right and then a bunch of new people. They're all my friends now, though. We have 35 contributors total. Uh, most from Gary, most still live in Gary, but we've got a few folks who were not from here. They just happened to pass through and, and wrote something meaningful. Um, but yeah, it was a, a wonderful thing to work on. I absolutely loved doing the work of it, the whole process. It was that, you know, it's been a year and a half pretty much from that first day to getting the contract to when it came out. But most of the work was done at the end of 2019 between Halloween and New Year's. And that's all I did. I loved it. I wasn't social. I just stayed home, which is weird for a social practice artist. And then COVID hit, so I was well prepared to keep staying home uh, from there. But um, yeah, what a, what a beautiful book. Um, publishers have been so pleased with it. I bragged to Martha when we first talked. I said, you're going to love this book. And then I thought, oh, geez, that's quite a claim to make, you know. But the folks who contributed and everyone had their work in on time, everyone was super eager to be a part of this. It, it was like a team, even though all 35 of us have never gotten together, well, 36, including me. Um, and we were unable to do the typical book promotion event where as many of us as possible would have come together because Belt was kind of getting known for doing that in these cities and they became social events. So we've not been able to do that, unfortunately, but we're trying all kinds of ways to, you know, build community, organize culturally, share our stories, encourage other people to be creative. So it's all part of a bigger process. That's how I see it. And it's good writing too. Very yeah, good writing. It is excellent. I, I want to ask you a little bit more about the process and then, you know, sort of what this looks like. I think also in this new context, there's a lot of us, I'm actually working on an article this weekend about the importance of continuing social and cultural events, even in the context of COVID and how we need to really get creative about this because it's not going away anytime soon. So it was like right before we spoke with you, we interviewed a gentleman from India and, you know, going through the vaccination process and what this looks like just logistically alone, it looks like maybe three to five years. So you know, just to get vaccines out of all this. And in any case, I'm going off too too far into the COVID stuff. But the point is, is that we have to find ways, creative ways, to continue to engage culturally and artistically and creatively, even in this new context. I mean, it's probably even more important now. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think so many of the problems, you know, you and I talk so much about this. It's privatization of public spaces, disappearance of public spaces. That's where we become community. That's where we become a nation. And uh, so much of that is disappearing. And now so many of us are atomized and isolated in our homes. Um, so groups like the Decay Devils, who've been doing bike tours around the city, I think that's so wonderful. Um, I can't ride a bike. You know, I got that vertigo. So I'm stuck at three miles per hour on foot. But uh, it seems like a safe activity. You know, you follow the, the hard science on it and being outdoors, social distancing, masks, and good ventilation seem to point the way towards... Um, us having these community events again. I, um, when it all started, yeah, what a, just, just derails everything, but I wasn't one who wanted to jump on and doing a ton of online stuff necessarily, especially as part of the practice. Cause I've always felt, you know, you got to come to Gary, you got to be here. You got to meet Gary people. You got to come in open-minded, come in uh, respectfully and curious 
and then experience it for yourself. And people have been doing that, those kinds of tours in Gary since Gary started back in 1906. So I see it as part of a continuity. So for me, just doing something online or like a podcast or even a book in some ways, um, working on the book got a little depressing for me at times because it was the first time in my life I'd been working alone. You know, usually organizing, education, art, whatever it was, there were always people. And now I was, I had Snoopy, my cat, you know, couldn't bore Brenda, my wife, with the nuances of editing every day, you know. <laughs> people say things like, oh, if you're with someone who doesn't read your stuff, is that it? Don't make your partner read your work. Good Lord, you know, just shut legal documents. So, uh, but it was tough for me to be alone. Um, but like I said, I kind of got used to it and I think I was able to adjust more, but yeah, I mean, I want to get out there. I, I said hello at the decay devils bike thing last weekend. It was just so great to say hi to 41 people yeah. in a public place at once. And there's something about Gary too. And we all come together here as a community, you know, and that's been there since the beginning and it's, it's always been there. And I've been lucky to just know the right people. I guess that we've all found each other and we come together. So, yeah, I'd love to do one big event and who knows, maybe in a year or two, we'll do that. I don't know. Book doesn't expire the way um, bread does, but um, you know, it could be many little events as well. And one thing that's happened a bit more lately for me, it's kind of got back to the basics where I haven't worried so much about, you know, budgets and plans and 10, uh, 1099s and W9s and all that, and just get out and put the art in. So these signs behind us were produced by the Decay Devils, feature excerpts from the book. And we've been just getting out when we feel like it. And the funniest thing, last week, the Field Museum caught us in action, and they're still giggling. Oh, we, it's like they caught Banksy or something. I'm not saying we're Banksy. <laughs> they're like, they keep, I was talking to them yesterday, and they're still laughing on them. We saw you putting art up. <laughs> And so, you know, it does bring a lot of joy and it's so great. And Gary, you know, you talk to people out on the street. I've always doing the public art here. That's been amazing. Even after a decade now, you know, no bad experiences. Like we had one lady say she don't like the art, but whatever. Hey, we even saw a picture of the great Senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders walking down the street in Gary, right in front of an installation that you helped put together. The Poetry Project, and that was Latrice Young's uh, poem. Oh, right uh, on. It's taken in front of. I've worked with her for five years. She's an amazing poet, spoken word artist, mentor, educator, artist, all that. So she was so excited uh, to see that. Yeah, it was really cool. And that's that, that. all that is still up. Like, nobody's destroyed it. Well, somebody accidentally drove into a building that had some of the poems up, and that took the whole building out. But nobody intentionally I, has, has, des, has, no, yeah, no, nothing like that. People work around it, which is really cool. That so. is cool. I, you know what? I want to back way up actually, because it just dawned on me that with this new program, it's been quite some time since the last time I spoke to you officially, you know, like yeah. on a program. So I think right. probably what we should do for a bunch of people also who are listening internationally or watching internationally is to give people a context of where is Gary, Indiana, and what is Gary, Indiana. I know those are two, one easier than the other. Mm -hmm. Quite a big question, but I think if anyone can answer that question succinctly, it might be yourself. But how would you describe, there's going to be two types of people who hear this program. One, uh, people who have heard of Gary as being infamous for X, Y, or Z. And then another group of people who have never heard of Gary, Indiana before in their entire lives. Like, what, how would you describe this place to sort of both of those groups of people? 
I'm always amazed when I meet people who don't have knowledge or opinion of Gary one way or the other. I love it because they're the most fair. They'll hear you out. They don't have any of these horrible preconceptions, good or bad, about the place. Gary is a city that was created by U.S. Steel in 1906. It's in the far northwestern corner of Indiana. It's it's quite different from the rest of Indiana. Um, it's just outside of Chicago. So as I write in the introduction of the anthology, we're, we're like neither, and we're seen as suspect by both. And so that puts us in a tough position. Gary is never centered. It's never seen as the center of anything. It's always the periphery of something. And that's what was so great about Bell Publishing and this opportunity to center Gary um, on its own terms for the sake of centering it. That was just a wonderful thing to do it. So um, it's a city that's had different aspects and phases over its short history. Um, you know, first it was this almost like a, a frontier company town. And then in 1919, you have this enormous steel strike with so much happening here. That's discussed in the book as well by uh, Dr. Ruth Needleman of Indiana University Northwest. Um, and then it grows into what historians always called Gary's Augustan age, where you saw all these bigger buildings and the city grew and more people. And it, it really flourished in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. It becomes the arsenal of democracy during the war. Uh, its population, it becomes the second largest city in Indiana up until um, the 1960s, 70s. And um, it, it's home for many immigrant groups. I think there were maybe 90 different languages spoken in Gary in its first few decades. My own history is Slovak. Uh, my great-grandfather showed up here in 1911, and less than two years later, he was killed at the mill. He's in the Book of Souls, John Barnack. Jan Barnack would have been his name. Love is not my last name, that's a pen name, but who the hell knows what the real name is anyway. Newspaper published it five different ways in his death notice. So that was kind of how it was, it was a rough place. You know, my grandfather was orphaned, very young, and um, he became a druggist, and then my father was a pharmacist, and I became an artist. <laughs> um, Gary is also significant for being a, a center of black politics and black culture in the United States. And black people have been in Gary from the beginning. Don't let anybody tell you this false history that they just started, started showing up with the great migration. I've talked with people. I talked with someone whose uh, father was part of the original crew that cleared the land to build the mills. And these were trained workers who uh, showed up, did the work and got told, we don't want you sticking around. So he said, uh, this person told me that, you know, it was black, white, brown, all kinds of people were here. And then they got pushed out. And then very early on in Gary's history, you had all these different ethnic and racial groups. But definitely after World War II, you saw a huge increase in the black population here. And that corresponded to uh, a growth in black political power. I was just talking with another contributor to this great book, Kim Mazel, who is internationally known as the first lady of house music, little more attached to the Chicago scene, but she is Gary deep down. And uh, her father was the man who kind of helped push Richard Hatcher to run for mayor, collected the signatures, encouraged him. And uh, we're going to be putting up a commemorative street sign to him, hopefully next week. She wrote about her father in the anthology. So Gary elected one of the first African-American mayors in this country, the same day Cleveland in, uh, elected Carl Stokes. Ironic because Belt is centered in Cleveland. So we've got that connection going. I uh -huh. think that's pretty cool. 
And then, you know, from that point, you have deindustrialization, you have white flight, and there's so many reasons that have been given for all of that happening. But basically, you have a situation now where you have a city that's about 90% black and then 10% all the rest, quite different from most American cities. Um, and as I put in the book, I, I wanted the book to complicate that. I, didn't, I, I don't want it reduced to simple words like white flight or deindustrialization. Let's get at the human stories. Let's get at the, the weirdness and the, the connections and the solidarities that have also happened in Gary. Uh, Gary is the heart and soul of Northwest Indiana and the Calumet region. Um, I've been saying this for decades now, and I'm so happy I keep saying it. I think the friendliest people I've met up here in the Northwest Indiana are from Gary, Indiana. It never fails. Um, just had great times up in this city. It's a tough city, too, though, as you know. But uh, if you're not looking for trouble, you know, you're going to be all right. Yep. And I guess the last thing I'd say is there's just a great cultural tradition here that's not been respected or recognized, especially from the outside. And we still have too many people that say things like, you're going to come to Gary and bring us some culture. And I, I want the book to show we, we have plenty of culture here already. All the projects I do, poetry, nature, it shows what we have, what we've always had, what we've known we've had. And if other people don't know that, well, I mean, maybe you shouldn't be expected to. Gary's not a Chicago or a Detroit, but... It's there, the history's there, and we just have to keep telling these stories. Were these conversations that you had with, with folks who were featured in the book, Sam? Or was this sort of a conversation that almost implicitly took place through their work that they were sending you? Yeah, I'd say the latter. Um, I, some of these folks I've known quite a long time. Some of these folks I've known for decades. So it was kind of known that, hey, this is a, a person who can and write about this particular subject. You know, Dina Holland Neal can write about Richard Hatcher and the 1972 Black Political Convention. She was there. It's things we talked about for so long. She's the person to, to tell that story. Um, but I could say there was very little coaching or suggesting or even um, story development editing from my part and Belt's part as well. Um, the manuscript was very clean. And then when I sent it off to them, they, they were like, yep, we have no changes that we want to recommend here. Um, I think the only thing, like, do you capitalize B in black? Some writers do, some writers don't. We just decided to leave it the way the writers did, even if they're contradictory in the same piece. Just let that be as it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that. I was so happy with that, that it didn't require, like I said, people just, I think people had these stories in them for so long and they had the desire for them to be written and published because a lot of good stories that people don't necessarily want to have see the light of day for whatever reason. It's tough getting something published sometimes, but um, yeah, I think these just kind of, it was going to go that way, almost teleological, I suppose. Like we knew what we wanted to say. And then I read them and I wrote that little introduction. What was you know, the, the, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the big theme in all of them was self-determination that I felt and the price the community pays for exercising that. Every author in there, except with, with one exception, implicitly or explicitly discussed their relationship to this city. You know, it's a big theme in all of them. The only exception is um, N Nicole Poltika's um, essay about the 1972 Black Political Convention, which is more of an academic piece, but I wanted that in print because there's so few articles in print about that convention. So I didn't want her to do a rewrite. It was perfect as it was, I felt. So um, 
yeah, that's um, it, it was coming from a, a place of authenticity from these writers. And I've enjoyed that so many people in uh, independent publishing have commented that it's honest and it's authentic. That was going to be my next question. How have people both the sort of, I don't want to call it fan mail, sort of appreciation or mail you've received comments from people, what they've, how they've felt about it. And then also just people in the publishing community, other authors, editors, who you've gotten feedback from. I'm, I'm sure that they've been pretty amazed by what's contained in the book. Yeah, I uh, definitely am hearing from different people on a pretty regular basis and there's more opportunities coming up. So that's really awesome. Yeah. Just to tell these scary stories, but to tell other stories as well. Um, so that's there. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough time to have a book come out right now. So I have no idea how many it sold. Um, I know that like on Instagram, people will make a post and tag me or if their friend bought one and they'll make a post. But I mean, I'll say here on Gary, the response in Gary has been great. And that to me matters probably the most. Um, I do want people from Gary to feel in some way that are reflected in this. Now, obviously 35 contributors, it's a city with many decades of history. You can't get everything. And, and there are voices left out and uh, perspectives not brought in. I mean, some of that's luck of the draw. It's who you get as writers and who gets a, gets the work in. But um, no, I've not heard anything negative. I don't know what people could say. Um, it would, would you think not, it's not like a single author writing something. It's all these different stories. And people have pointed out the writing styles differ from poetry, personal essays, a real short flash nonfiction up to more academic type pieces. So I think people appreciate that, which gets back in the diversity of talent we have in um, Gary, but also in Indiana and the region and all that. So what do you think this means for post? I know it's almost too tough to talk about it, but do you think this means anything for a post COVID world in terms of projects or things you could start in the city? Not that you of course are responsible for starting every cultural project that pops up and not that you do, but I, um, yeah, I'm interested. In other words, you have these 35 people who've gotten together to contribute to this. There's going to be other people in the city who see this and are inspired by it. It would seem to me that if we can get past this sort of COVID period or even moving into the warm weather again, that there's like an opportunity to do more collective work. Is that something that people in the anthology have mentioned to you? Or are you just like, look, this project took two years of my life. I'm moving on to something else. And if somebody wants to take it and do something with it, great, but it's not going to necessarily be me. Oh, I'd love to do another literary project here. I can tell you that right now. Uh, I've, I've taken advantage of slow down with COVID just to do less work, <laughs> chill yeah. out a little bit, um, not do as much, but I'm still getting quite a bit done. Cause there is, yeah, there is that desire. You want to do things. We want to get out there and share that. So part of it is getting these signs produced and having them displayed across the city so that people, you know, I believe that publishing, and this has been part of my practice for a long time. It shouldn't just be in a book. Um, the city, the public itself can be a, a publishing template. And that's, you know, whether you're spray painting poetry, locally written poetry on a piece of plywood or an aluminum sign. So I think um, there's that. I think because the, you know, the, the a funny thing about a book like this is it, a couple years from now, I might get a call from someone who says, well, can you come and talk to us on our show? Uh, we're in Sioux Falls and we just did an anthology and we want to connect. Something like that could happen. So I think that's great. I think that the uh, shelf life of it's going to be 
really long. I've looked back at some of the other work, editorial work I did in Chicago with Area Chicago, which was back in like 06, 07, 08. And it's a very I'm cool amazed publication, how, by the way. Yeah. And I'm, thank you. And I'm amazed how well it holds up. It's still relevant. And we called ourselves slow journalism. So it wasn't quite the everyday, but it, w- it also wasn't academic where when you finally get something done, it's 10 years later and it's <laughs> relevant. We were sort of finding that middle ground and, um, oh, we need that here. I, I want to encourage more people to write, uh, have their stories um, documented if they wish. I think everybody's got a story in some way, especially here. And there are gaps that we can fill in, just focusing on the Gary experience. Uh, around the same time that the, antholo- the Gary Anthology came out, the Black Midwestern Anthology was published by Bell, which uh, has gotten all kinds of attention. And the books kind of complement each other that way. And there's a lot to say about the Midwestern experience for people who don't have European heritages and ethnicities. So definitely saw the Gary Anthology as, as trying to address some of that. You know, it's an election year and what it means to be Midwestern or a Hoosier or Heartland is, let's face it, when the, the big media uses those terms, they're really only thinking about white people and they're leaving out all these other um, expressions of Midwesternness here. And I think the Gary story is so important. You know, take something like the 1972 Black Political Convention, which was directly responsible for the increase in, in black people running for elected office in this country, in cities. Maxine Waters was there, just to give one example. I just learned that from the, from the interview I did uh, to get that in the book. And uh, growing up here, people would always, oh, it was a failure and it accomplished nothing and they were fighting with each other and there's nothing. And then when I was in grad school, I knew people who wanted to do research into that, but were dissuaded from it because, well, nothing had been published and got to have the academic gatekeepers saying yay or nay. And I thought, well, that's just ridiculous. This, this very important event happened here. Nobody hardly knows about it. It's not commemorated. Now they Academic gatekeepers won't let people even do any further research into this. So I was very eager to publish um, stories about that convention. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, we started talking about the post-COVID world, and I just jumped to 1972 on the west side of Gary here. But, yeah, Vince, we get our butts outside more. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's okay. Actually, let's start there because I, I feel like I would do a disservice to many people in the anthology if I just started choosing people. So what I'll do is after we talk about the convention, I'll randomly open up pages to the book and we'll talk about whoever the writer or artist is. I feel like that that might be the fairest way to do this. We'll find out. Does Sammy really love every article in this book equally? I do. (laughs) I spent a lot of time with these stories. You know what I say? I, the, the only, the, the beauty and the miracle of putting this together for me, I heard a paleontologist say, you know, when you discover a fossil out in the field, you're the first person who's seen that thing in hundreds of millions of years. And for me to be the first person to read this book, now granted I did sequence it, but to read it in that sequence first to me is something I'm going to treasure for the rest of my life. And that to the writers and Belt and everyone who's bought it, thank you for that. That, that one thing especially just made it all worth it so much. Right on. Talk- Talk about that convention and why you think it's so important and why is it overlooked? I mean, I find this interesting because I didn't know about the convention until I was in some organizing circle working with a bunch of different black activists and an older black activist had mentioned, he's like, where were you? I was in Chicago somewhere, of course. And the person was like, where are you from? And I was like, oh, I live in uh, Burns Harbor at the time. And he was like, oh shit. He's like, you live by Gary. That's when it came up. And I was like, man, how had I had never someone from the region, someone who had grown up 
you know, and even had been active before the the time that I had heard that. I'd never heard of this. Yeah, well, that's racism for you. It's a racist society. So things like that are automatically deemed unimportant. Never stop to look at what kind of the influence and the impact that came out. Um, yeah, the convention. I mean, just growing up around here, you'd overhear racist adults say negative things about it. And then, like I said, once I got into college, I went to college at IU Northwest and Gary. Jim Lane and Ron Cohen were two of my great professors and good friends of mine. And uh, I'll never forget the day Jim Lane in his history class, uh, first day, was saying, and, you know, we'll, we'll study U.S. history, but we're going to do local history, and we're going to focus on the history of Gary, our fair city. And I go, what the fuck did he just say? Our fair city? I mean, my parents didn't raise me to be racist. My dad's history, you know, my family history goes back in Gary. My dad's always, you know, had a great connection with the place. Um, they didn't raise me to hate it or fear it or anything like that. But I still thought well, it's a rough and tumble. You know, Chicago and everywhere else is way better than Gary. You know, I guess you kind of get sick of the place where you're growing up around. But uh, that cognitive dissonance stuck with me throughout that term. And then I started reading his oral history work. I thought this, I love Gary. And even when I lived in Chicago those 10 years going to grad school, I studied Gary. I wrote a master's paper on um how the how U.S. Steel used the Pullman experience to um, develop Gary as a company town, which was basically a very hands-off uh, method that still had great implications for people in terms of race and ethnicity and class. Boy, that's a mouthful of boring. Uh, but I'm not in the academic world anymore. I, you know, I I hit the streets. I started photographing. Um, I'd hear things, but then I'd see different things, and you know, again the people just being so kind and interesting and friendly. And so I started photographing and I wanted to do it ethically. I didn't want to just go into the abandoned buildings and say, this is Gary. I wanted to get those contrasts and some of that kindness. Um, and then, yeah, from photography, it went into community organizing. Um, so I was living in Chicago, but I'd come down to Gary for organizing meetings. And um, I don't know, it's like that snowball down the mountain. You just roll with it. Next thing I know, they're trying to put some for-profit prison here. Yeah, which you uh, <laughs> helped organize to stop, of course. That was the last time we talked on one of your shows, yeah. Was it? Long. Okay, I was going to say, yep. and what year was that? 2015 or 2016, right? 15, probably. 15, 15. or 16. Yep. It, it was over the winter in that. Um, yeah, I moved back to Northwest Indiana and I gave up living in Chicago in 2012 and I wanted to, I was burned out from activism and organizing because Occupy Chicago had happened and that kind of had petered out. And I wanted to do that cultural organizing. I thought it can be the, what I'm doing in Chicago can work in Gary as long as it's attuned to what people want here. It's a great thing about a social practice. And so, yeah, I moved down here, start getting the feet. And next thing I know, I got to fight these damn prisons. I'm doing the political type work again. So <laughs> it was, it wasn't until like 2017 in the poetry project. I finally got to do what I moved down here to do five years later. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Like the grays are coming in and all that, but you got to do what you got to do. I wouldn't change anything, uh, especially because we were victorious. And then the cultural organizing went, has gone really well. Um, just keep at it. So, Hey, I want, I want to ask you because you mentioned it earlier and I, I think it just kind of really hit me that you have now taken pieces out of the anthology and you've put them on so what's behind you are aluminum signs that will be uh installed throughout the city yeah yeah we've already done a couple we're 
you know, going back to basics where it's just do it when you're in specific the mood. spots, Sam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's uh, if you go by union station in downtown Gary, just go up Broadway, um, pass downtown and not quite into us steel. There's one up there. We've got one on Indie Indie bang, bang on Lake street and Miller, although the traffic on Lake street's a fucking mess right now. So it still is a mess. It, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> It's been three years for those who don't know. It's been constant construction for three years. There'll probably be another year or two of it. Um, so we put that up. We put park downtown and then, yeah, we're, we're looking a few other places. Are you so, picking, are you like, what are you using like a certain criteria to pick out the spots or are you just like, this will be cool right here? No, there's generally some kind of relevance to the excerpt. I tried to think totally. in terms of geography because you know how I think. Yeah, I was, yeah. it was a good lead. It was a softball uh, second yeah. question. <laughs> they place based practice next time. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, who are some of the people behind you? Why don't I ask uh, that? Yeah. So this is Dr. Simpson right here at live art studio, which is on 47th and Broadway, which is just a couple blocks from where I grew up. And if I had something like that, when I was a kid, Oh Lord, watch out world, but I'm so grateful that someone like her is here doing exactly what she's doing. It's a, I don't know. You, you have been to library. I've been there. Can you explain it? What it is for people? Oh, it's just this wonderful independent art studio. Uh, Dr. Simpson is a wonderful person who does great work with mosaics and lots of colors and and African and African American themes. When you go in, it's just big and and open and and well lit and, and clear. And then as you start to look around, there's just all these beautiful designs and colors. So she's always been someone I from the moment I walked in there, probably 2013, I thought, oh, this is, we need 10 of these out here. People need to not copy, but what the spirit she's bringing in. And she's got a story about how she was in Chicago. She's actually a transplant. And uh, now she lives in Gary. And so she talks about uh, perceptions of safety, how she's never felt unsafe here. And she'll, you know, she'll go to the local shelters and find guys to help do a little work around her home or her business, pay them. Um, That kind of that kind of neighborliness exists here in Gary still, you know, it's not so much just getting on Yelp, but like word of mouth and then go to, go to where the people are at. So we're honored to have hers and we'll have hers up uh, outside of her studio. We might even do it tomorrow. You know, who knows? Uh, Back here, this was going to be a secret. I won't tell my friend Maya, but she talks about her experiences with healthy eating and she talks about um, a little outing her and I did and her kids who are like my best friends in the world. So Roya and your own, hello, I miss you guys so much. You're going to be tall the next time I see you, no doubt. Like this, <laughs> like this, grow so fast. But she, her and I went around um, and we talked to old timers who grow their own food in Gary. And they were so eager to share that wisdom. And there's been a movement, I would say, in Gary in the past 10 years about getting back to urban agriculture um, and, and farming and things like that. That That's an enormous change in Gary because 10 years ago, if we suggested even a small garden, people, well, we don't do that or we don't want to, or, you know, the legacy of sharecropping is still, and we don't want our kids to learn that. We want them to be in modern corporate America. Well, the kids are like, what's that plant? I can grow and eat that. I've seen that firsthand with the work I've done. So Maya and I and the kids, when we went around, um, yeah, those old timers were so happy to share that knowledge. Um, I grew native plant. I didn't grow no food this year, Vince. I just grew milkweed. I grew weeds this year. Right on. But 
that's Maya's. And then over here, um, uh, this is my good friend, Jessica Peterson Rogers, who I went to college with. We worked together on the student newspaper at IUN back in the 90s, which was a lot of fun. And she talks about IUN, IU Northwest. In fact, her story talks about three generations of black women and what education means to them. So for me to get those long generational stories out, and I've met so many people here whose families go back four or five. There's even a sixth generation Gary resident now. Now he's only like a month old, it's Jessica Renslow's little baby, but that's a sixth generation Gary resident right there. So uh, we've got roots. And Jessica, somebody who's been a friend of mine for a long time. So, you know, happy to have her. And then way in the back is Devin Hall, another person whose family has been in Gary for four, uh, four generations at least. And it's a story that goes back to the 1920s. Uh, it's a story of interracial friendship, of a black family from Pennsylvania and a Polish family from Poland and the decades long friendship that they've had. Um, and it's about the house that her, her Nana lived in and what it meant to that family. And it, that, oh, Vince, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit, that's the one story that made me cry. It made me cry twice. Same point in the story each time, still fucking crying. Yeah. So th thank you, Devin. No, well, that's the powerful stuff that I think we need right now. I mean, I think these stories of like community, friendship, breaking bread together, sharing stories. I mean, these, these are the kind of things that make us human. I mean, these are the kind yep. of things that allow us to love and, and create compassion. And all of us come from, look, I mean, very few of us have the opportunity to sort of become worldly people at a young age. I mean, a lot of us are just kind of stuck where the hell you're stuck. And, you know, you only get to see what you get to see. And all of these experiences provide a richness to our lives that it's really, I mean, I, you know, all of that comes across with, I mean, not just with this work, but I think with most of all of your work that I've seen. Well, you know, I guess in some ways you could get that global experience here, and we're lucky for that. Right. You know, I point out, Gary is the only place in the Calumet region where you can find that century-long history of multiracial organizing, yeah. multiracial union labor organizing, and that's nothing to snuff off. I remember when we were fighting the prison, you know, our mantra, uh, 219 my uh, Black Lives Matters, Gary, Northwest Indiana, the Interfaith Federation, we were very clear we were a multiracial, anti-racist organization, and the newspapers just would not print that. They, they'd call the opposite, well, there's some opposition, some Hispanic community groups and churches. They said, no, why don't you repeat what we are saying? We are telling you we are a multiracial, anti-racist coalition with black, brown leadership, and, and they had to kind of, some of them had to spin it their own way. Right. So it's there if people want it. And I think more and more people come or people are aware of Gary for those reasons. It's not just to come play in abandoned buildings and take pictures of the misery. Um, although, you know what, you may have seen in the news a couple of weeks ago, you had three little jagoffs running around one of the abandoned schools, pooping and shooting each other and breaking shit. I mean, they posted a video online. It probably got tens of thousands of views. And, you know, I, I'd be lucky to sell a few hundred copies of this book. So... That's, that is maddening in some ways that people would, I want to believe it's just bots watching those views online and that there aren't that many people that want to see a video, the worst parts of Gary, Indiana. I mean, that, that that's almost like too easy, you know? It is, yeah. man. It, it, that's such a good point, and it extends far beyond Gary. I mean, I talk with Michael Albert a lot about this, who who's someone, you know, we mutually know and, and who's a friend of mine, and, you know, he... 
he would say that he would get into arguments uh, with Gnome over the years where he would say to Gnome, if you pick 10 things and you guess that eight of them are going to be worse, you're going to be right most of the time. So like, yeah, if you just keep finding like the things that you're pretty sure these things are going to get worse over the next however many years and then talk confidently about those things, it's the easy way out. It's like, yeah, like it's so easy to point this shit out. What's bad? What's wrong? And then feeding into a sense of alienation and despair and calamity that we all feel right now. So it's like, yeah, it's, I mean, you see it with everything. So I wouldn't feel too bad because it seems to me that from movies to art to music, that anything that's sort of playing up this sort of apocalyptic visions of the future will get numerous views and shares and all the rest. But the challenge, of course, is trying to get people to think about a different vision. You know, how is it that we want to live? We all know, for the most part, that things are in a bad fucking place in this country right now. Um, yep. But we would like to do... So we all know that. We recognize that. Then the question is, what do you want to do about it? And right. I mean, what I love about your work and what you do and what the people that you're you you know you're around and working with in Gary, it's like, we're just going to start doing it. Nobody's going to do it yep. for us. The government's not going to do it. Some corporation's not going to move in. Some celebrity's not going to move back to the city and give us money to do it. It's like... We're going to have to just put, you know, our feet on the ground, put our hands in the dirt and start making it happen. And that, I mean, that's like the spirit I think that we need in this country now more than ever almost. Yeah. And that's what the book, I I always envision the book as um, somewhat of a testimonial of the last 10 years in Gary, although a lot of the stories go back well beyond 10 years, but it is this constellation of people, this moment where it came together and we thought we can do these things and we're not bound by those aspects of the past. We have to consider the past. We have to be strategic, make our decisions going forward from there, but we're not bound uh, and defeated by the past. And that's why we've been able, okay, so our videos don't get hundreds of thousands of views, but we can get the geo company and ice to fuck off. Right. And we can, can change every city councilor and mayor to turn them against that idea. So obviously yeah, on the street connections, deep organizing, you know, community like that is more powerful and satisfying than any stupid likes or video views or things like that. I mean, that's the most important thing right there, but yeah, I mean, in some ways, um, the what's a lot has changed in Gary. I mean, my memories of Gary go back to the early 1980s. I grew up on the border the Merrillville side of Gary, there's Gary, and then there was Merrillville, which was illegally incorporated. But our house was there before all of that, our male Gary. My mother went to IU Northwest in the 80s, nursing program. And if there was no babysitter, I went with, which is why I tell people I've been going to IUN since the early 80s. <laughs> uh, my father worked at a pharmacy in Glen Park. You know, I remember Roy Boy's tattoo shop. I didn't, I too little to go in, but my father had work done. My sister had work done. And when I was old enough to go and pop in there, you know, um, I remember things like that. The Glen Park Bakery, the True Value Hardware Store, liquor stores, just stuff like that. And um, I guess it was kind of weird to have the city with this ferocious reputation, but I, I don't know. I've had a different experience and I've talked with Tyrell Anderson from the Decay Devils and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of the problems, but that was not his experience growing up here. So when I think the greatest compliment I've heard from people here in Gary about the book was they, someone said, it's not a woe is me book. And that to me, that woe is me has persisted a little bit too much in Gary. Uh, sometimes people maybe don't know a better way, but I did want to pick the, the, uh, the proactive and the engaged people, the people who've done something 
and just have them talk about what they've done. And yeah, it, it definitely is. I, I wanted to get at the complexities here. It's a very complex place. It's right. uh, and far too long. It's been simplified as either, you know, the worst place or what a great diamond in the rough or it's all black and that's it. Before it was all white. Now it's all black. That's not true at all. So we've got to get that nuance out. Definitely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, cause you, you mentioned it a little bit before you're aware most of the people who are watching or listening to this are aware we've had a wave of protests and actions over the last four to six months in the country. Well, really over the last four months since Memorial day weekend. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think you do so well is to describe those complexities and nuances. And you've been doing that for almost the last hour now, but I wanted to ask you sort of more specifically about your own experience in this context. There's a lot of people who I, I'll put it this way. I'll put it in the most simple way I can put it. There's a lot of people throughout Northwest Indiana. And for those of you who don't live here, um, there are cities that are quite diverse and there's cities who are not as, as, or town suburbs who are not quite as diverse. And, and those places often exist uh, in close proximity to one another. So in other words, you can drive from a Gary, Indiana to a Chesterton or a Valpo, uh, much different socioeconomic background than a Gary and, and not just history, but the reality today. I know a lot of people in those areas who see problems in the region or who see issues that they would like to address, they would like to work on, they would like to create these bonds to create these relationships. What do you think is the way for people to go about doing so in a way that's not, you know, in other words, you don't need people parachuting in, as you just noted, um, helping with any damn thing. But at the same time, you're not like a provincialist. Like, you're not like, hey, we're just in Gary. It's all I care about. Like, I don't care what the hell happens to my neighbors 20 miles down the road or whatever. Like, you're also interested in creating. I mean, you've spoken about it in a, in a, in a regional way geographically through the Rust Belt. You know, the upper Midwest, the Great Lakes region, the Calumet region. This encompasses a lot of different um, you know, ethnicities, ages, genders, all the rest. I, I'm, I guess less of a question and just sort of a reflection on how you uh, navigate all of that, how you talk about that. It, it's in a way that's very uh, comfortable and very approachable, I think, for working class people. And I think that's really helpful at a time when people in the country are really trying to examine race, class, all these different issues, very important issues. And sometimes, you know, they're being led to do it in a way that's not that helpful. And I think everything you've done through your your political work and, and cultural work has been in a way that can bring as many people to the table as possible, but in a principled, disciplined way where we're actually getting things done. Um, anyway, that's just, that's me kind of giving you a question plus a reflection plus a compliment all in one. <laughs> and not at all articulate, but yeah. <laughs> well... You know, I, I think as far as bringing people together, yeah, the complex thing where we're at Northwest Indiana is you have these individual municipalities and then you have the, the region itself and the region is connected. We share a geography. Um, even if we are very distinct, um, we share a watershed. And then, you know, we here in Northwest Indiana share geography and politics with the rest of Indiana, which is so completely different from our little corner. Um, I know I almost feel like I, I sometimes wonder if I am becoming more provincial as I get older because I can't wrap my head around too many things. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I've had a lot of people this year, um, 
call folks that I talk with in my circle across the country want to know what's going on. And a lot of folks would call and say, just assume, Oh, it must be hopping in Gary with what's happening in Minneapolis and Kenosha and all these other places. It's pretty quiet here. Actually, a lot of the activism and the protests, as you know, were happening in the suburbs, the Chestertons, the crown points, the Lowell's, the places where like it needs to happen there too. I'm not saying it needs to happen there and not here or any of that, but it needs to happen wherever you have these oppressions. Sometimes I wonder if there might be a bit more of a complacency in Gary because of the belief that, well, you know, we have black faces in high places and our, many of our police officers are black and um, that makes it okay. But you could talk to Black Lives Matters, Northwest Indiana, and they can give you the names of people who've been killed by the police in Gary over the past couple of years. Um, there have been a number of instances there. So yeah, we haven't had so much of the um, marches and demonstrations. I think there were two in Gary and one was led by the city officials. So we won't count that one. But I mean, definitely I can say with COVID, I mean, I talked to the people on my block more, just make sure things are okay. We're all pretty close on, on the block here and folks are comfortable with each other. So definitely more of that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, so yeah, it's hard for me to answer that because I've been sitting in writing and editing and not catching COVID, but I think people should listen more, especially if you're new to this. Um, and there are always new generations of activists and organizers coming, but you know, we don't want to have a, a situation where a new generation comes in and think, Oh, none of this has ever been done before. Right. I told century of multiracial labor organizing in this city. Um, so, you know, we want to have that. We want to have people working together well. But I, I think in, in the context of a city like Gary, what happens is um, my friends at the Indiana Arts Commission will call me and say, yeah, we frequently get calls from artists who want to come help save Gary. What should we do? I tell, tell them to go away. Yeah. <laughs> we say, well, you tell them to go away. They're smart people. They, they, we've had great conversations about that. But at the same time, we'd love to have more people coming in. Um, I was going to ask you that question. Or plant trees. There's all kinds of work that could be done here. And as Gary is the heart and soul, the center of Northwest Indiana, I think any, anything that benefits Gary is going to actually go outwards. Um, that's what I believe. So, you know, we don't want to have to be competing and have, for instance, Merrillville. There's still a lot of people here, older people, who bear malice against Merrillville as the racist white flight town. They've never been to the mall. They never went to the Star Plaza. Merrillville's like 60 percent people of color now yep. if you go to Merrillville high school so now those kids there's no public transit in Merrillville because generations ago some angry people said, well we're not going to send buses into Merrillville ha 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 we got you so they don't have that you know the money wise they don't have their cars like I had a car at 16 it was a beater but yep. a lot of the kids are so how are they supposed to get around they don't live in neighborhoods where the houses are a bit closer and there's parks and, and sidewalks. My neighborhood I grew up in didn't have parks or sidewalks for God's sakes. And it, it didn't have those things that build community, the public. So we need to be finding ways to build connections. And that's why I love the work that the Gary Public Transit Corporation is doing, insisting on getting public transit throughout Lake County and into Porter County, but center it on here in Gary. I think that's really important. And we need to be reaching out we need to listen to young people, definitely. Um, but as a cultural organizer, I want people to write. You know, I made a conscious decision with the Gary anthology. It was only going to be Gary stories. 
because most of the other anthologies, I think we were the 14th in the series. So all the previous ones, they dip into the suburbs, you know, Akron suburbs, Detroit suburbs. And I thought, you know, we're not going to have anything that distracts away. We're going to center Gary completely. Um, and I, that's, a, that's a subtle perspective, but I think it's a really critical one for people to understand. You can't understand Northwest Indiana Lake County history without centering Gary, the people of Gary. You can't understand why Maryville and St. John and the others grew the way they did in Lowell and uh, hell, they're out to they're white flighting out to Demott these days. Yep. Uh, it's a long ways down there, and you don't you can't understand that unless you understand the Gary experience. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to just you know we want to keep encouraging um, just how uh, Belt is encouraging Rust Belt and Midwestern writers to write and reflect on our experiences and where we're from, and not worry about the gaze of the outside. Let's bring that down to an even more micro level. Let's have people in the region reading and writing and reflecting on the experience of growing up in a place that's between red state, rural Indiana and union blue industrial multi-racial ethnic Chicago. Cause we're not like either and we shouldn't. And unfortunately a lot of the, the things that get innovated and pioneered here end up getting claimed by one or the other. So, you know, we have the first lady of house music, a Chicago house musician, although Kim talks about Gary constantly, even in her interviews in, in Europe, she talks about Gary. And a lot of our graffiti artists that started in East Chicago and uh, the Bronx neighborhood on Gary's West Side, they get claimed in the books as Chicago. And I mean, hell, I moved to Chicago. I even said that earlier, you know. You do that. Um, I feel very like split because I'm. I, my whole family was migrated from Italy to New York to Chicago. I was born in Chicago, lived there till I was 10 years old, then moved to Northwest Indiana as a child, graduated high school here, went to the Marine Corps and then moved back here. Did a lot of work over the years in Chicago as well over the last year since being home from the Marine Corps. But I try to find a way to mention both of them and that place, like giving place to where you're from, a geographical location, that rootedness, like why are you the way you are? I mean, everywhere I go, I, I sort of start any interview I do with anyone over the last 15 years starts with born in Chicago, steel mills, Northwest Indiana. Here's where I'm from. Here's the context. And I think that, I don't know, it helps me better understand uh, where people are coming from. And I'm sure you've had this experience, but you probably feel at home. I know I do. Milwaukee, yeah. St. Louis, Detroit, mm -hmm. Cleveland, Benton Harbor. I could go to any of those places, Cincinnati, yeah. and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know how to behave here. Like, we might end yeah. up hanging out in an alley or in a garage somewhere, and I'm totally cool with that because I know exactly, like, what this, what it's all about. And I don't know. Yeah. There's something about that, the identity here, that that nuanced complexity to it is what's interesting because on the one end it's seen by the coast as like, Oh, you're from the Midwest. Like it's this dirty fucked up backwards place. Or you also have people here who I think might overly glorify some of the worst elements of living in the rust belt. Sometimes I'm sure you've encountered that as well. And there's so much in between. That's just, I think a very rich history that, you know, we could constantly, you know, yeah. sort of revisit. <laughs> My disclaimer when I lived in Chicago was, hey, I'm from Indiana, so just watch it. You know, we, <laughs> I try to, I love, I mean, you know, when I travel, I'm happy to come back home here to Gary. And you're totally right. Like, for me, a lot of the world, a lot of the people in the world can either fall into folks where it's like, I can immediately relate to you. Or it's, it's fallen into this. Who the hell are you 
to do that. And, and honestly, it doesn't really break down on race or income or class as much as one might think. I've had leftists, committed leftists, call Gary a shithole. Why would you want to do anything that's a shithole? Okay, all right, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, it is what it is. But, yeah, it definitely shaped my behaviors about things. I mean, good Lord. I go to towns that don't have abandoned buildings, and I'm like, wow, this is so nice. I forget that's normal right. most places. Right. There's so much here that has been kind of normalized for me. Um, it's not like that everywhere. But yeah, I mean, there's people who just seem kind of not trying to be uncharitable here. They just seem kind of prissy, I guess, you know, and whereas in Gary, people are more laid back. And the story I've told a lot is like, I mean, one of the for real big reasons why I decided to leave Chicago is you, you do work in these community groups or activist groups and you work closely with people. And then three weeks later, you run into them and they don't remember you. They don't remember, they act, they act like whether they do or not, they act like that. And then in Gary, I'd run into people after five years and remember everything about the day we met. And it was genuine. So it was like, well, yeah, hell yeah. I wanna be around people who respect me as a human being and not just a body showing up to a meeting and signing the email list for some stupid other meeting or something. Sergio has been talking a lot about transactional relationships lately and how destructive they are and just how, Mm -hmm. you know, they're really an impediment to building the sort of things that we want to build projects, campaigns, institutions, communities. They really are. Yep. Yep. Um, Yep. Let's, Hey Sam, let's do this. Cause I got a whole bunch of other stuff I'd like to ask you, but we're trying to keep, I'm trying to keep this to about an hour. So let's do this. I'd like to do, let's add, an, let's add another interview to our rack of interviews that we've got set up. We're still going to do a set of interviews with Sam Love about his experiences with Occupy. Um, I think it's a very important topic for many reasons, but I'm interested to pick Sam's brain. It's something we've been talking about for a few years. The second side to this conversation about the anthology I would like to talk about is twofold. One is to go into some of the individual artists and then no, the second part is I want to talk about how ecology also plays a large mm-hmm. role in your, you know, your work, your understanding of the region. Um, and I feel like that in and of itself would be an interesting enough second episode. Does that sound Definitely. okay to you? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Cause I know you also I have other things. Hours, and so I could talk for hours about here, you know, I know. And I love, I want, I want you to, I want to get as much out of you as I possibly can. So I'm going to keep extending these next time. I'll find a way to extend it to a third one. <laughs> no, let me not talk about myself. <laughs> um, Hey man, first of all, congratulations. Gary anthology edited by Sam love by belt publishing just out this year. Check it out. You can get it, I'm sure, at beltpublishing.com. Buy it from them, please. This is it. Sam, thank you for coming on, and congratulations, man. Always good to talk with you, Vince. Same here, brother. All right, you take care. All right, man, you too. You've been watching Park Media. I'm your host today, Vincent Emanuele, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, thank you for watching and listening. If you think this program is worth a pack of cigarettes or a cheeseburger, you can become a Patreon for as little as $3 a month. The link is available at our website, parkmedia.org. That's P-A-R-C media.org. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel below. Also, you could find us on Instagram at parkmedia, Facebook at politics, art, roots, culture, and you could find me on Twitter at Vince Emanuele.